Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, a terrific guest. Chris knows everybody, and he was able to land us John Shire, who is the uh, new head basketball coach at Duke University, a Duke legend, and now uh, having the tough job of trying to replace, really, the ultimate legend in college basketball, uh, Coach K. So looking forward to our visit with John Shire coming up here shortly. Chris, I know this time of year is a busy one for you as you are uh, knee-deep in working on the book for the upcoming season. A quick update on how things are going on the uh, Blue Ribbon yearbook for the 2022-23 season. It's on, my brother. It's on. Uh, July 10th was our first deadline. We're actually producing the book two weeks earlier than before for a lot of reasons, but mainly because our fans – wanted to have it in their hands a little bit before the season. Uh, well, a lot, a lot more. We, we prided ourselves on coming out late and we'll still come out later than every publication, but I wanted to hit that happy medium. So we're, like you said, knee deep in it. Um, I'm writing almost 30 stories for the book myself. Uh, that's an aspect of it. I still love, I still love to talk to coaches and, if you looked at, at my uh, calendar on my iPhone, it's just filled with, you know, Chris Jans here and, and Matt McMahon there. And, you know, just trying to get these coaches, it's tough for them. In in uh, the spring, I, I try to start reaching coaches in, in June and they've got camps and they've got workouts. And then in July, there's recruiting and oh, we better squeeze in some time with the family or we're going to be in trouble for that. So it's tough to be a, a college basketball coach. People say, well, cry me a river, you know, they make a bunch of money. Well, that's only a, a, a select few that, yeah. that make that kind of dough and the rest of them labor. Uh, I would call it a labor of love for all of them, but uh, it's a demanding job and it's a demanding job for us to put the book together. It really is. It's uh, you know, I don't have to tell you uh, you're an associate editor but it's 400 pages and 650,000 words. And somebody has got to read all those and it falls on me. Fortunately, I, I kind of like college basketball, so it's all good. <laughs> That's right. And it's not large print either. <laughs> There's a, a lot no, of, no, it's not. And you always do a great job of uh, making sure it all comes together and it looks great. Uh, it, it seemed like almost as soon as we finished our last podcast, you started to get uh, information about some more conference changes including UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. So many of these conference changes are, are really about football. But this is very significant for a couple programs who've been obviously terrific in hoops. Travel's going to be a disaster. I, I'm really, overall, I'm not really a big fan of this move, but I understand that this this is what's happening in, in college sports. What, what do you think about this one in particular, UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten? And what do you think uh, this might lead to as these these situations always seem like they, they lead to more changes. Man, this one slapped me upside the head. Uh, I, I did not see it coming and, and it didn't seem at first to, to make any sense. And then I called a buddy of mine who's an associate commissioner at a conference and he began to explain to me uh, the real deal and what he said. And I'm, I'm just repeating what I heard. I'm not, uh, proclaiming it as gospel, but UCLA had, was in a position where like Stanford tried to do, they were going to have to cut a bunch of sports. Uh, they're in, in, in deficit spending uh, athletically. And 
you know, at some point you have to think about number one uh, rather than the whole of the Pac-12, which is the league I enjoy and, and have loved watching over the years. But in order to, to cancel out that deficit spending and, and start making some real coin, uh, there were two likely destinations, one the SEC and one the Big 12, uh, 10. And so those two leagues just print money. And, you know, they got out front, Big Ten first, SEC second with networks, and those are highly successful. Uh, and, you know, the, the share of income that they can give to their schools uh, is exponentially greater than any other conferences. So that's the financial reality of it. Now, the crazy part is, you know, I, can you imagine the UCLA tennis team playing a road game at Rutgers? <laughs> yeah, that's the part that nobody uh, thinks about when, when uh, the, these conference moves get made. Yeah, it, I mean, you're a road warrior. You've you've been all over the place. You understand the travel, and uh, surely there'll be some sort of divisional play. Uh, but what what scares me the most about it, Kevin, is the sea change that it will ultimately bring. Because now it's going to be a matter of okay, who steals the other teams first? Is the Pac-12? reach in and try to swipe from the big 12 or vice versa. Or vice versa. I've, right, I've yeah. heard that six schools from the PAC 12 are already in talks with the big 12. Uh, and the other thing I thought of, wow, uh, this could touch the ACC, even though they say that the ACC owns the school's television rights. My source said, uh, that's no problem. They can buy their way out of that and, and get it back in a year if they join one of these super conferences. So you could see, Duke and North Carolina being separated, not in the same conference, you know, uh, Carolina, maybe in, in SEC country. So the ramifications uh, are massive. But the one that worries me the most, Kevin, is the fact that, you know, I think the NCAA tournament and Division One has been a, an inclusive group. And, and that's what makes it, for me, exciting. And yeah. I think if we have some sort of power conference, NCAA, and and banish uh, those upstarts that could beat, uh, you know, number one seeds in the first round, I think the tournament is diminished. Now, as our buddy and friend of the show, Jay Billis, once told me, he said, Chris, if there's a power conference, NCAA, you know you'll watch it. And he's right. I would watch it. But it wouldn't be the same. And, you know, we're, I mean, the ship is, is, is teetering more and more on, on pro sports uh, with the NIL and, and uh, you know, open transfer. It, it's almost like free agency. And, and now this, uh, I don't know, I, I think to Blue Ribbon and what I'm going to do with that. I, but but like, like our guest uh, uh, on the show today, John Shire, I think you got to take it one day at a time. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, I guess a question about the transfer portal. We like to give the update there. Uh, it seems like it's starting to settle down a little bit. A couple highlights since our last podcast, Chris. Yeah, it has settled down. The last big name uh, to, to to leave the portal was Imani Bates, and his destination was a shocker, Eastern Michigan. He's from Michigan, but, you know, this was a guy that, at one time was considered the number one player regardless of age in the country. 
And uh, when he went to Memphis last year and combined with Jalen Duran, people thought, wow, you know, this is a super team. I'll admit I, I moved Memphis way up in my rankings after those two signed uh, relatively late. I thought he might end up at Michigan or Michigan State, but, you know, maybe he just wanted to get out of the limelight and, and practice his craft uh, and get better and, and prepare himself for, the, for an NBA career if he has one. Um, you know, he, he received a lot of criticism because after he was out with an injury, that's when Memphis began to play a lot better. So uh, he's got a lot to prove, that young man, but, you know, I'm pulling for him. I hope he does. And if, if his intention was to get out of the limelight, play in the Mid-American Conference and, and work on his game, uh, you know, it, that was a smart move. One more player question for you. Five-star point guard Kylan Boswell reclassified. He's going to go to Arizona. Uh, chose the Wildcats over, over Illinois and UNLV. Arizona is one of those teams uh, like Duke that lost a lot of firepower, but they do return their starting point guard. But that does seem like a really good get for that program, and he'll be there earlier than maybe they expected. Yeah, he's an Australian. And uh, Tommy Lloyd, uh, luckily for him, even when he was at Gonzaga, had – a considerable experience recruiting international players. And that's what Arizona won with last year. They'll do it again this year. Uh, Boswell is an unbelievable player. He's a five-star point guard. He was ranked number th- the number three point in the class of 23. I found this quote from a- Adam Finkelstein from 247 Sports. He said, uh, Colin Boswell is college ready from a physical standpoint, from a skill standpoint. And from an intelligence standpoint. So that pretty much covers it all. Yeah. Uh, I think he can step right in. Now they've got uh, uh, Kerr Carissa, uh, who's the starting point. But, you know, when Tommy was at Gonzaga, they, they played the best players on the floor. And I expect that's what he'll do now. And, uh, you know, if, if, if all the hype is true, Boswell's ready to step in and, you know, again, these are the things that, that I lie awake at night over. Uh, personnel, uh, uh, subtractions, uh, additions that happen during the production process of Blue Ribbon. And I have to be mindful of every one uh, as it relates to our rankings and and not just top 25, but in the conference, too. So this was a huge, huge gift for Arizona and Tommy Lloyd. Chris, our guest is here. He is the new head basketball coach at Duke University, where he played, won a championship as a player, and has as a coach as well. He is John Shire. John, how are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing fine, doing fine. Doing well. Uh, coach, thanks for joining us. Uh, I thought about this uh, as we were preparing for the show. I've talked to several coaches over the years, including Coach Gene Bartow, who have been the guy who replaced the guy. But I've never spoken to the guy who replaced the goat. Um, <laughs> it, if the enormity of that has hit you, you've done a great job hiding it, uh, especially in light of, of the recruiting uh, that you've done, uh, some of which I know you can't talk about. But can you talk about, obviously, the enormity of that? I, I mean, uh, by any metric, uh, you're replacing the greatest coach in history, uh, I, I think it was a great decision on Duke's part to, to install you in the job, but can you talk about all that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned Gene and, 
you know, it's uh, when you when you think about successions, you think about uh, what has transpired in the past when you have a great program and you have really a great coach who's been in a school for a long time. Uh, there's there's always going to be a lot of noise. And, you know, really what I try to do every single day is just stay in the moment and focus on the task at hand. And I think when you get, you know, when you get too big of a scope or you think about, you know, like I got asked the question about what legacy I want to have. I don't know what legacy I want to have. I want to, I want to win our first game. I want to, you know, I want to have the summer where we get better. And so I want to have great players. So we're hitting the recruiting trail hard. So those are the things I try to focus on and uh, we'll continue to, I know there's going to be adversity that we hit during the season ups and downs and just to stay in the moment and stay locked in. Uh, that's what I promised myself I would do when I took this job. That's that was smart. Um, obviously, you know, this as well as anybody, the, the success and the culture of the program didn't need much altering, but you've already begun to put some of your own touches on the program, including going outside the Duke brotherhood to hire assistant coach Jay Lucas. I, I think that sent all kinds of messages. Uh, can you talk about that decision and what went into it? Yeah. Uh, you know, really coach K and I have had a lot of talks about where our program was at. Uh, and the fact that I've had to make decisions that coach K never even had doing 47 years coaching with the changing landscape and one-time transfer rule NIL. Uh, and, you know, like for me being a first time head coach, I really respect value having uh, diversity of opinion, diversity of background. And for, you know, to get a guy like Jay Lucas, who's, you know, played at the highest level in terms of, you know, McDonald's All-American college professional. And then he's done it as a coach, even though he's, you know, 33, he's, he's done this for 10 years at two amazing spots in Texas and Kentucky. So for me, uh, after talking to him, I was, it was a no brainer on my end. I was excited. He's been even better than I thought he was going to be. He's not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, He's got great instincts for the game, and he's a relationship person. John Shire is our guest head basketball coach at Duke. Uh, Even though you're moving into a different role, it's not an unfamiliar program and really an unfamiliar coaching staff. How did having that time on staff and, and a chance to lead the team in various situations, how did that help you with this transition? It really helped me, you know, to, to think about the evolution. When I started being recruited by Dukers in 2004, so almost 20 years, you know, and I followed the program closely even before then. I'm a history guy. You know, I know the I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jenny Dawkins, Tommy Amaker, you know, the, the 86 team that really, you know, put Duke on the map. But for me, uh, it's understanding the history and what we have to continue to move forward. Along in the same time, it's a, it's a little bit of a different time in college basketball sure. where, you know, the, you think about Coach K, the thing that I, I would put above all that he did the best was he adapted. Like he adapted and he didn't recruit, you know, Johnny Dawkins the same way he recruited me or Zion Williamson or he better recruit Zion harder than me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he still adapted. And I think uh, that's where the pivotal point right now. Now, so for us, we are going to have to pivot and do some things differently, but but not forgetting the core values that we've had uh, and what Duke basketball stands for. 
As Chris mentioned, you guys have had a great run in recruiting, but but what have been the most significant changes as far as NIL and the portal and just the way you go about it? I know you guys have also added a, a staff member to help in that regard, right? Yeah, well, you know, really it's uh, college basketball. It's a little bit of an unstable environment, unstable mm-hmm. environment right now. When you think about uh, it's hard to keep a core group together. And for us, you know, we have, we lost eight of our 10 scholarship players. Uh, you know, we have, uh, seven freshmen this year. We have four grad transfers. We have a new group. Uh, we have, I think, some some cultural differences mm-hmm. in terms of age. You know, we have some 23-year-olds and some 18-year-olds. So we're <laughs> trying to, you know, blend them together a little bit. But, you know, really, again, you know, you mentioned, you know, Rachel Baker being hired. Her her thing is, is again, a different perspective. You know, there's this for, – for, for me, when I was a player, I thought about basketball and that was it. And now for, for all these guys, and it should be this way, but there's more that's on their plate. There's more, there's more that's thrown at them, and there's more opportunity to profit off their name, image, and likeness, being one of them. Uh, uh, but education in terms of the world they're going to be in, they're, they're going into this world beyond college sooner than we thought about doing it. And so to make sure we have the resources, the, the, the right people in place, uh, has been something that's been very uh, important. Uh, on my end to make sure we have set up. John, to focus in on one of those issues, as well as you guys recruited high school players and and you had an awesome class of five-star kids, you also found it necessary to take four kids from the portal. Can you talk about that? And and one in particular, Jacob Grandison, um, it just seemed like such a great fit for what you needed. Uh, and it seems like the, the people who are active in the portal that do well in the portal find specific needs out of it. Yeah, well, when we evaluated our roster, you know, at the end of the year, we felt we couldn't have brought in a better recruiting class. I mean, we were, we were and we are really excited about the, the, the freshman group. The, just like anything, though, their first time going through it, we value guys who have done it before. And so to get a Jeremy Roach back, you know, I can't, uh, I can't uh, say enough about how important that is and how we think he's the best guard in the country this year. Uh, but then to add a Ryan Young from Northwestern, who's, you know, battled for three years with all the bigs in the Big Ten, and then to add Jacob Grandison, you know, who's had great experience, knows how to play, can really space the floor. Uh, he's a tough player. He's been you know been a part of a winning team just like Ryan has in Northwestern they've been through battles in the Big Ten there's value in that so we're excited to add those two guys adding Kel Catchings uh, Max Johns from the Ivy League uh, just building our culture again because we have so much new uh, you know they're they're guys who work hard and know what to do on on a daily basis there there were teams that coach won championships with when he played literally seven guys, it it would appear that if you wanted to, you could go much deeper into your bench. Uh, Philosophically, is that something that, that you would do if, if, if the need arose on on a consistent uh, basis? Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things where I think for me to get too far ahead and say, and to limit, the number that we would play or to say we're definitely going to play nine, 10. I'm not going to say that, you know, I've always, you know, when I was a, a freshman at Duke, I remember you had to earn your playing time. And so, you know, we have, 
or fortunate to have in practice, they're competitive practices. And playing time has never been something that's guaranteed. But, you know, we have a hungry group. We really have, you know, about 10 guys that can really play. It's a matter of earning it. And we're not afraid to play 10. Also, not not to say that's definitely what we're going to do either. And, you know, uh, have to do it by feel and uh, really get a feel for our players and what they earn. Our guest is Duke basketball coach John Shire. I was thinking back to your playing days, and I remember seeing you play in person twice. Once was in 2008 in Washington, D.C. I called the games for Belmont for many years, and the game against you guys, a one-point victory for the Blue Devils. And then in 2010 in the Final Four in Indianapolis when you guys ended up winning the championship. How did you see that that core group of guys grow over those years to develop into that team that won it all? Well, you know, for us, uh, everybody talks about us, you know, of all the national championship teams where we are the least talented or, you know, maybe the ugliest or whatever they want to say. <laughs> but, you know, really, there was nobody tougher or more together than we were. And, you know, for our teams now, we have to accomplish that in one year. And so, you know, for us, we went through that moment you mentioned playing Belmont. We almost lose. I mean, that game goes down to the wire. You know, that was our freshman group lost to BC mm-hmm. in the first round. You know, our junior year, we we get blown out by Villanova in a Sweet 16 game. Those, those games, they harden you. They make you, as much as you think you want it, you can always want it a little bit more. And that's what those moments did for, for myself, for my teammates. And then the fact that our starting group, we had been together for three years. And, you know, there's no simulation for – practices the the time you spend together the 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 moments where off the court you go through tough times and so at the end that's what I think back to to my college career like I miss yeah I miss the games playing but I miss those moments with my teammates in the locker room after you know a tough practice and it's us against the the coaches are on one today (laughs) we gotta come together come back you know come back stronger tomorrow and I hope I'm able to uh, do that for our players where, you know, they're put in situations where they realize they, they need each other. Yeah. Now you're going to be that coach that's on. Today, <laughs> I am. Right? I'm okay with that. <laughs> I've already been that coach a little bit, which is okay. Uh, John, that final NCAA run with coach, uh, it was almost, if somebody would have written it as a Hollywood script, you wouldn't believe it. Can you kind of talk about how it played out? Obviously it was shorter than you w- would have wanted, but, it just seemed like a, a great way for a great coach to go out. You know, he deserved it. And, you know, obviously we all wanted to win the, the, the whole thing for him and for our group, not just for him. But uh, he did a great job of just staying in the – I'm talking about staying in the moment. He did a great job of staying in the moment. And you can see, you know, towards the end, I mean, he's human. And naturally that hits you. Each game you play, even the first-round game, that can be your last game coaching. Like you don't want it to be yeah. your last game. Yeah. And, you know, our players were put in positions that no other team has really been in before. When you think about the spotlight, attention, somewhat pressure. And, you know, they really lived up to it. You know, there are a couple of times maybe it, it got to us as a team, but uh, like, all right, we're, we're losing in Michigan State a few minutes to go. Jeremy Roach stepping up. Like that's, that's some big time balls to make those plays. And, uh, you know, same thing as Texas Tech. They come out and punch us in the face, and we had to come back and you know figure out uh, you know how to how to how to get the win. All right, a fun one to go out on, John. 
you're an 86% career free throw shooter. What's key to being good in that area besides just a lot of reps in the gym? You know, it's uh, it definitely starts with a lot of reps in the gym, you know, and always starting back in when I was young in junior high, high school, before I leave the gym, I'd always, you know, make a number. And all right, let's say it's 24 one day. I'm making 24 in a row before I leave. If it was 22, I missed 23, like I'm starting over. And it was that mindset that I think led to when I was in those moments, uh, you know, and even, you know, in the tournament, I shot as well as anybody ever had at Duke because there's a, uh, it's, it goes back to being present. You know, it's that old, it's, you know, you block out all the noise, you block out all the, you know, time and score, all that and just focus on you know it's, it's it's a free throw for a reason it's free yeah, yeah. You, you, you gotta make it and uh so anyway I, I prided myself on that and you know definitely pride or pride myself on it as a coach where we're we're really good free throw shooting team going forward he's a duke great and now he's the head basketball coach at duke university john shire thank you so much for the time and all the best going forward thanks thank you both for having me thanks coach that was Duke head basketball coach John Shire. We are thrilled to have him with us on our podcast this week. And man, I remember seeing that dude play. He was a great player, a point guard, a great shooter, as I mentioned, a 86% free throw shooter. He was one of those dudes that you wanted the ball in his hands in a tight spot. And I was thinking, what does it say about Duke's program that he scored 2,077 points and he's 10th in all time scoring at Duke? That's when you know you got a great program if you have that many 2,000 point scores. Yeah, he people people forget how good he was. Um, I think I told you this the other day. Uh, I I was at the two, 2010 Final Four as well, and I was in overflow press seating behind the Duke bench. And as you know, that game was tense and literally came down uh, to the tip of a shoelace uh, that Gordon Hayward's shot missed. Mm-hmm. But being behind that bench was an enlightening experience, and. Even then, uh, John Shire, his voice was heard in that huddle. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you know, if, if when the playing days are done, this guy, this guy could coach. And obviously, Coach K has done a great job of, of keeping members of, of the brotherhood uh, on his staff and grooming them. And he's put several coaches out there, and Coach Wojciechowski, Coach Collins, and you know, as as his days wound down, Coach K's, I, I, I began to think about a logical replacement. And I'm not saying, I, you know, I had a crystal ball or I know everything, but John Shire just seemed like the name to me that just kept popping up that made the most sense. Because, you know, by that time, uh, Coach Wojciechowski had, had lost his job at Marquette. Coach Collins, who had gotten Northwestern to the NCAAs, uh, uh, the realities of running that program in the Big Ten, it's, it sort of hit in. And, you know, Coach Amaker might have been a logical choice, but he had two other power conference gigs before, and he really didn't excel until he got to the Ivy League. So, I don't know. It just seemed like uh, – and Coach K was giving Coach Shire more and more responsibility, uh, as he does all of his assistants. But Coach Shire just seemed to be, to me, the guy. And when they – uh, made that decision in final it did not surprise me a bit yeah and I, and I was thinking about going back to 2008 that game I mentioned Belmont against uh Duke in, in DC that, that was a 215 matchup Duke was a two and Belmont was a 15 and 
Uh, our, well. our guys almost uh, pulled the upset there, but you know, thinking back then, I mean, John Shire and Kyle Singler and the, you know that that little that core group of guys that ended up being that championship team, they were really young guys back then. And I can remember seeing Shire and Singler in the hallway after the game and uh, just maybe saying hello to them or, or something like that. Uh, Gerald Henderson drove the length of the court and, and laid it in to give Duke the lead inside the final minute, and, and in a in an eerily similar maybe precursor to the Gordon Hayward shot was the one that Justin Hare took in that game for Belmont. He took a half court shot at the buzzer that almost went in that would have won the game. It hit off the side of the rim. It wasn't quite as close as Hayward's was, uh, but it was pretty close. I mean, I can, and there's a, there's a really cool picture uh, of, of Justin and Gerald Henderson going up for that last shot. And you can see me in the background, uh, you know, at, at the mic. Wow. And you can also see my wife, Amy, up in the stands it, with, with all the fans, like, watching the ball in the air. So it, it's, it was a really uh, cool picture. But uh, it, it was crazy to me how similar the endings to those two games were. But, yeah, to see his progress, not only as a player, but as a coach. And, you know, being with Coach K for Final Four teams and a championship in 2015, uh, it would seem like he is more than ready to uh, take on maybe the ultimate challenge in college basketball, and, and that is to uh, try to replace uh, the best to ever do it in Coach K. So I uh, really appreciate John and, uh, and Duke for making that happen and, and all the best to him going forward. Uh, Chris, what a fun story you brought to my attention. Oscar Shibway of Kentucky wanted to change his uniform number from 34 to 9 for the upcoming season. Uh, the significance yeah, of nine a reasonable is, request. Yeah, right. Uh, going after <laughs> title number nine in, in Kentucky history. But there, there's an NCAA rule that doesn't allow digits higher than five for, for refs to signal to the table, and that, that's an old-school thing. I mean, that, that's been there forever, that you don't have any digits yeah. on uniforms that are higher than five because you only have five fingers on one hand. Uh, and it got me to sort of thinking about that. Like in the NBA, they have numbers that are all over the map, and maybe it is time to change that because you also have two hands, and you can signal if you, made a, you yeah, need to make exactly. a seven or a nine or something like that. That's what the NBA refs do. Uh, and, and there's not like there's, you know, 50 players on the court at a time where it'd get really confusing, but I'd never really given that a whole lot of thought, but, uh, I, I, wanted to change his number to nine and, and, uh, it was turned down. So, uh, we'll, we'll see if this has any traction as the years go forward here. <laughs> you know what? I, I hope it leads to a rule change because, you know, we do have two hands uh, and I don't know. I, I, the thing that struck me most about it was I, I had no idea. As many years as I've been on sidelines watching basketball games, uh, I had no idea. Uh, but if, if you look back on it, yeah, they don't go past five. Uh, and I thought, at first it confused me. I thought, well, I've seen number 55 and, you know, high numbers, but it's not the high numbers. It's just anything over five. Yeah, you've never and, seen 56. Yeah. So, um <laughs> It, it's a strange uh, rule and just one of those things. Uh, I think uh, the NCAA uh, has its critics, and and one might, and one might uh, point to this uh, in that gargantuan rule book of theirs and, and say, uh, <laughs> we could sure streamline this thing if you'd let us, and here's a great place to start. Yeah, and, and nobody wore numbers lower than three for a lot of years. Uh, nobody ever wore one or two until just maybe like 20 years ago. That changed. Uh, if you go back decades, 
there were numbers higher than five in college basketball, but it's been a been a long time since that was the case. So we'll keep an eye on that developing story. Chris, it's it's a really <laughs> special week for you, and I say this in all seriousness. Congratulations, man. I'm so happy for you. You're going to be inducted into the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame uh, later on this week. Congratulations. I know you've been working on the speech. Uh, do we have an update? Do we do we have a, a, a time frame that we're looking at here? How is it going? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, uh, it'll be great to have you there uh, that night. And, and you're right, it, it, it's a cool thing. Uh, it's, it's a career validation. But the thing that most important to me, and you know I love history, Grantland Rice is in that Hall of Fame. And, and for me to be uh, in the same area code as him, uh, wow, I must have done something right. But as far as the speech, you know, I I got a burst of energy. I, I was told about this in November, which, you know, months ago. And I didn't do anything. And then in April, I just sometimes uh, I wake up with ideas for stories in my head. And I guess it's because, you know, I'm just starting the day. There's nothing in there to clutter the mind. And so I banged it out. And, and for several months, it stayed the same. Uh, and then this past weekend, I just gave it a complete overhaul and, <laughs> and I didn't change it fundamentally that much, but there were just some, some passages that I thought maybe needed some clarification or needed to be, uh, said with more emotion. I'm not going to go up there and wing it. I'm going to read the thing. Uh, and I wanted it to be just so, and I finally, uh, I came out of my office on Sunday night and I, I told my wife, she, she said, are you finally done with that thing? And I said, yeah. Uh, my son told me once that a great, a great filmmaker said, you don't finish a film as much as abandon it. And uh, <laughs> so I abandoned my acceptance speech. Uh, I, I had been told by several people who have, have been inducted that uh, don't drone on. Uh, keep it tight. And I, you know, I was mindful of that even before they told me. So I, I timed it. I've rewritten the thing to my satisfaction and put a stopwatch on it. It's about eight minutes. Okay. So uh, get in, get out. Uh, uh, thank everybody and, and, and go sit down. So uh, I'm a big believer in that. And, and <laughs> but it's going to be great. And um, you know, to have you there is, is going to be great. An, another dear friend of mine, his name is Jeff Gunther. He was a photographer at the Chattanooga Times when I worked there uh, before I got into this whole blue ribbon craziness. Uh, he's going to be there as well. And, you know, the room will be filled with people that I know of peers, and it's going to be great. I, I'm, I'm just, I just can't tell you how uh, grateful I am uh, and appreciative of the honor. Well, it's well deserved, and uh, man, you've you've made a major contribution to uh, sports writing in this state and, and nationally. So, uh, a lot to be proud of, and looking forward to to seeing uh, the induction ceremony coming up on Thursday night. He's the Hall of Famer, Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.